bad boys. What you want, what you want, what you gonna do when Sheriff John Brown comes for you? Tell me what you wanna do, what you gonna do. It's time for an episode of CPA's Gone Bad on the podcast. This is where Chris and I dig into and discuss some recent enforcement actions from the SEC and PCOB. Why? So hopefully we learn from and don't repeat others' mistakes. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Welcome to Gap Chats, the podcast dedicated to all things accounting, brought to you by Gap Dynamics. I'm your host, Mike Walworth, and with me as always is my faithful partner, Chris Brundrett. We hope you'll join us on our journey today as we share our passion for accounting and help change the way you train. What, no evil laugh this week? We're finally talking about your favorite topic, enforcement actions. And by the way, nice homage to the TV show Cops and wonderful, wonderful singing, Mike. I, I think that probably got... <laughs> everyone's attention this morning. Well, <laughs> admittedly, my singing needs some help. Uh, however, I really do like reviewing enforcement actions. Why is that? Why do you like it so much? Well, we kind of discussed it last week. I guess it's a bit of schaffenfreude. Uh, you know, I, I'm taking delight in others, you know, pain. But I really do think when you kind of look at enforcement actions and see where others maybe have gone wrong, hopefully we as a profession don't repeat others' mistakes. All right. Well, before we start, where where do you find these enforcement actions anyway? I know you're trolling the internet out there all the time, but if uh, if someone wanted to find these, are they available? Where can they go? They are readily available because they're published by the SEC and the PCOB on their websites. And I'll put links to them in the notes to this podcast. Now, the SEC has kind of a, a wide net, right? There's a lot of enforcement actions. They do a lot of insider trading. They do... Um, of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. There's some enforcement actions there. And, and by the way, I think that would be a great podcast episode, by the way, the FCPA. But anyway, we tend to look at what we call AAERs, and that's these accounting and audit enforcement releases, probably because that's what we're talking about here, accounting and auditing. And so these AAERs, they're financial reporting-related enforcement actions concerning civil lawsuits brought by the commission in federal court and notices and orders concerning the institution and or settlement of administrative proceedings. Now, you mentioned civil lawsuits. Does the SEC ever bring criminal proceedings against individuals or companies? Or Yeah, the, the answer is no. I mean, I think it's because, I don't know about this, but I think it's because the SEC and the PCOB are actually a function of Congress. And so it, it mm -hmm. relates to our separation of powers, I think. Is yeah, they're not really a court system. Right. right? And, and, so, and so generally, well, not, not only generally, I'm sorry, they can only bring civil charges, civil proceedings. Mm -hmm. uh, but as we've always told our classes, don't you worry, I'm sure they have friends in the Department of Justice, and if proceedings, uh, criminal proceedings are warranted, uh, I'm sure that they can get a, a civil charge done too. It, and that happens, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that that has definitely happened. You know, they'll deal with the, you know, the accounting issue, and they'll levy fines and penalties and various different things. But if there's true criminal activity, they will refer that to the Department of Justice. Then they will take it from there. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, like Enron. Sort of 
like right. Enron or Countrywide Mortgage or all these. Or, they, they obviously kicked it to made the off Department of Justice. Would, yeah, Madoff would be another one. I mean, that's how he ended up in jail. It wasn't the SEC that put him in jail, but ultimately it was referred over to the Department of Justice and went through the court system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, actually, you know, when we look at the enforcement actions, they're actually up, right? You know, the SEC does publish uh, these enforcement actions, kind of a summary of them. And and SEC and uh, SEC enforcement actions are up in fiscal year 2022. Uh, so in that year, uh, last year, they filed 760 total enforcement actions, which was a nine percent increase over the prior year. However, what was really shocking was the amount of money the SEC collected. How much are we talking here? Well, money ordered in SEC actions, and this this money comprises civil penalties, disgorgement, and prejudgment interest totaled $6.4 billion, which was the most on record in SEC history and up from $3.9 billion in fiscal year 2021. So it nearly doubled. Cha-ching. That, that's, yeah, that's, that's nearly double. Do we, what do you think? Do we expect these to grow again in the future? Well, hopefully not. So according to the SEC director of the Division of Enforcement, um, he basically was quoted saying, while we set a commission record this past fiscal year for total money ordered at $6.4 billion, including a record $4.2 billion in penalties, we don't expect to break these records and set new ones each year because we expect behaviors to change. We expect compliance. <laughs> All right. That's I mean, that's a tough message coming yeah. from the SEC. Uh, what about the PCOB? Well, on the you, audit side. Yeah, sure. So, well, as you know, there is a new sheriff in town. And let me tell you, Chair Erica Williams does not mess around. According to her speech at the AICPA and SEMA conference on current SEC and PCOB developments, that's the one we go to in D.C. In, in December, the PCOB announced sanctions related to exam cheating, modifying work papers, non-cooperation with investigations, unlawfully obtaining and using confidential PCAOB information, and failure to have sufficient quality control processes in place to guard against ethical violations. And she said, and I quote, Let me be clear. The PCAOB will not tolerate unethical behavior. I have said before, and I will say again, the PCAOB means business when it comes to enforcement. That's definitely a change from the previous chair. Yep. Well, the previous chair, you know, the way the PCOB works is kind of like the SEC. There's set of, I think there's Republicans and Democrats. But um, so the previous chair was a Trump appointee. And if I'm being honest, not a whole lot got done while he was there. Now, I'm not saying the PCOB under his watch didn't do anything. They still did inspections. They still did the like. But it probably they did a little bit less. Now, to be fair, he did have a global pandemic during some of his term. But anyways, in 2022, they also the PCOB also imposed the highest total penalties in PCOB history. As I said, there is a new sheriff in town. And, and it's interesting how both the SEC and the PCOB had the highest penalties on record. Well, and sometimes, I mean, they, they do sort of work together slash, you know, tip each other off. I mean, oftentimes, if there's an issue at a company, right, that the SEC's found, there may also be an issue with the audit. So sometimes those do go hand in hand. But so, I mean, let's get to it. Are you ready to discuss some of these specific enforcement actions? What do we have today for our listeners? Well, I, I picked one. I picked one enforcement action from the PCOB and one from the SEC. Let's stay with the PCOB uh, since we were just talking about them. And I'm going to continue a story that we started in last week's podcast. Mm, all right. What story might that be? Well, I'm talking about BF Borgers. I remember them. That's the firm, if I recall correctly. It was pretty big, 
but they only had two partners, right? The, so two partners, and they audited over a hundred publicly traded companies, which was, let's face it, quite odd. Um, and you know, because of that, because they're big enough, they're over a hundred issuers. They're annually inspected by the PCOB as part of the inspection process. Yeah, and you you said big. They're big only because they audit over a hundred companies. They're actually right. small, like you said. They only have two sort of partners there. I have no idea about their staff based on the website. Well, we do. We, we looked last week and it was LinkedIn and they had two to 10 staff. So, right, I mean, right. they're smaller than Gap Dynamics. Right. Right. Big, weird. Big, in, big, big in numbers of audits and yeah. potentially revenues, although we, we didn't quite see that, but small in in numbers of people doing that work. Yeah. And, and if you remember last week, we were talking about them and I said that one of those two partners is new relatively new because the old audit director was sanctioned by the PCOB. Oh, uh, that's right. So so what happened there? So that's, you know, like Paul Harvey, this is the rest of the story. Um, gotcha. So we'll talk about that old guy that, uh, the, I don't know if he's old or not, he's probably pretty young, but uh, the guy that is no longer with BF Borgers. His name is uh, Bo Shang Lin. He goes by Eric, and we'll just call him Mr. Lin for now. He was barred from being associated with a registered public accounting firm and fined $25,000 because he violated PCAOB rules and auditing standards in conjunction with the audits of the financial statements of three issuers. These three issuers were, number one, a company called ChineseInvestors.com. It's an Indiana corporation and a provider of Chinese-language financial information that also sold industrial hemp-infused cosmetics and liquor in China. It's quite a combo. That is is quite a combination. (laughs) So anyway, that's the first one, ChineseInvestors.com. The second one was uh, United Cannabis Corporation, and they're a Colorado corporation focusing on, you can guess it, developing therapeutics related to the endocannabinoid system and owned IP related to medical and recreational marijuana and marijuana-infused products. I'm starting to see a little theme here. Uh, perhaps he was just high. Because I got high. Remember that song in the 80s? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I no. got high. Yeah, that's right. That's the one. Uh, no comment. Anyway, the third company was China Pharma Holdings, and it's a Nevada corporation, but it's headquartered in China. It manufactured and marketed generic and branded pharmaceutical and biochemical products, primarily to hospitals and retailers in China. So to my knowledge, it had nothing to do with marijuana. All right. So what did he do? Or better yet, what did he fail to do in these audits? Yeah. Well, at a high level, and so this will kind of, we'll we'll go high level and then we'll break it down a little bit more. Uh, According to the PCOB and its enforcement document dated May 24th, 2022. So listeners could go to the PCOB website and look this up to find more information. Mr. Lin failed to exercise due professional care and professional skepticism obtain sufficient appropriate audit evidence supporting significant accounts, including accounts designated as a fraud risk or a significant risk, and comply with multiple other PCOB auditing standards. Mm, Okay, so kind of some general audit language there. I mean, is there any specific examples or do they give us any specific examples of where this went awry? Yeah, sure. So so let's first let's talk about that audit of ChineseInvestors.com. That was the Chinese language services along with some <laughs> marijuana infused liquor. Right. Okay. I've never had that. Uh, yeah, maybe we should do a podcast with right. marijuana infused liquor. <laughs> I would be like Elon Musk. Anyway, uh, this ChineseInvestors.com, it was noted that revenue grew 1000% over the prior year with most of the sales occurring in the last few months of the year. 
Okay. I mean, I haven't been in audit for a long time, but I'm going to say that's a huge audit risk. That much of an increase in revenue year over year, but also all that jammed into the very end of the year. Yeah. Right? I mean, my, I, radar, my audit radar is going up. Yes. Yeah, cu- cutoff issue, right? So yeah. we want to make sure re- revenue is recognized in the proper period. So the engagement team, interestingly, the engagement team, which I don't know how big it was, probably just Mr. Lin, uh, ad- properly identified it as a significant risk. So they did the risk assessment process right. But here's where they went wrong. First, it was noted that 62% of its revenue was derived from selling to wholesale customers in China. Essentially, the company was acting as an agent in the transactions. Okay, so let me guess. The company was acting as an agent, as you said, but recorded revenue on a gross basis, really as if they were the principal in the transaction. Yeah, so essentially, you know, if they were an agent and they recorded it as as uh, revenue as principal they're grossing up their revenue they're recording too right, much revenue right. so that is let's the, time out let's yeah. time out here for a minute for our listeners you know AC topic 606 talks about principal versus agent considerations and it has been a huge issue area for a lot of companies because there's judgment involved in am i a principal am i an agent sometimes it's clear but sometimes it's a little bit more trick you know trickier to to identify but as you said mike if you're the principal you're recognizing revenue and cost of sales, so gross, right? Yeah. Whereas if you're an agent, you're recognizing net, just like a commission income almost. Yeah, right? and, so the, and that's a difference. And ASC 606 gives a bunch of little like um, sort of um, examples and, and, and sort of characteristics of whether you're a principal, whether you're an agent. But the right. main thing is, is who controls, ASC 606 is all about control, who mm-hmm. controls the goods prior to getting it to the customer. And obviously, if it's a wholesaler, it's the wholesaler is the one that's doing it. Uh, So essentially, the audit team failed to evaluate whether the company's revenues were reported in accordance with GAAP. And as we said in a previous podcast, the GAAP is back, baby. In addition, on this uh, ChineseInvestors.com engagement, Lin and his team relied on third-party delivery records to test both cutoff and valuation. So that's that's the supporting audit evidence that he, he had. However, these delivery notes did not include information about the title for the liquor shipped, nor anything about the sales prices or other evidence related to the amounts or values of these sales transactions. So much CPE, so little time. With over 100 unique e-learning courses and even more hours of CPE available, Gap Dynamics Learning Platform, The Revolution, has you covered. Do you want CPE-eligible customized training for your team? with live in-person instruction or live webinars, that's cool too. You can visit our website, gapdynamics.com. That's GAP with two A's to learn more today. Looking for our full catalog of e-learning courses? Check out revolution.gapdynamics.com and get ready to change the way you train. So quite simply, he did not have sufficient appropriate audit evidence. Yeah, that's right. And so and and there's some other things with chineseinvestors.com, but you know, I don't want to go into each one of these too too dig too deep on the essence of time. So let's move on to his audit of United Cannabis. Uh the issue related to the engagement team's testing or lack thereof related to goodwill that comprised 37% of total assets. All right, that's pretty big. Um what's the issue specifically with the testing? Yeah, well, so as you know, I mean, let's. I liked how you did that before, Chris. You know, kind of yeah. bring back goodwill is not amortized under U.S. GAAP, but it does need to be assessed for impairment, tested for impairment annually. Now, at least annually, at, at least annually, or 
more often, as you said, right. if if there's triggers or something that, that that leads you to believe that goodwill might be impaired. Now, there is this qualitative sort of test that you can do, and basically you got to assess at the reporting period or at the goodwill testing date, is it more likely than not that the goodwill might be impaired? Okay, so that's where he we 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 sort of to frame it where he was. So despite evidence indicating that goodwill was clearly impaired. So he sort of ignored that evidence, those those factors or whatever that indicated goodwill might be impaired and he might need to go to a test. Lynn accepted management's contradictory, and this is a big thing in audit, right, contradictory information. He accepted management's contradictory representation that there were no relevant changes to circumstances indicating that goodwill may be impaired. Basically, he failed to perform further audit procedures to investigate the basis for management's conclusion or evaluate its reasonableness. Furthermore, to support its goodwill balance, the company relied on a valuation report prepared by a third-party specialist. So let's break this down for the audience real quick, if Mm -hmm. you don't mind, Mike. So, you know, as you said, there is sort of a qualitative test that you can, you don't have to apply up front to basically say on a qualitative basis, do I believe goodwill is impaired? And if there's the potential that it's impaired, then you move into the actual quantitative test and, and you, you know, we'll see what the outcome is. It may or may not be impaired based on that quantitative test. But a big factor in that qualitative test is, how, you know, if goodwill wasn't impaired in the past and you're, you're assessing it on a qualitative basis, has there been any significant change in facts and circumstances? And what you're saying here is there was a lot of evidence that that had taken place, but management and then the auditor ignored that. Yeah, and I mean, assessed, the, yeah. The report basically talked about what those factors were, right? Like the, right. the company they acquired had, you know, lost a significant contract. The revenues were significantly down. Basically, it was a dud. One of this acquisition, yeah. and so there was so, clearly factors out there indicating that a test, a quantitative test, should have been done. Okay, so so you mentioned this valuation report that's saying all these things. What did the engagement team do to test that? Well, so so basically management said, first of all, they told Mr. Lin, despite all these other factors, goodwill is not impaired. And he sort of he sort of gave that. OK, the, okay I agree. Yeah. And, and he didn't kind of further test it. That was his first error. Second error was management said, hey, and if you don't believe that, here's a valuation report substantiating this goodwill balance. But you ask okay. what he did. He didn't do anything. He obtained the report and basically slapped that 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 you know what in the work papers. He failed mm-hmm. to perform any procedures to understand the work performed or assumptions used by the third party specialist and to test the data provided by management and relied on by the specialist. So in what's happening is this specialist says, "Listen, these cash flow estimates, I have no idea. I'm relying on management for these cash flow estimates and it's up to the auditor to test those assumptions that the valuation uh firm is using and and he didn't do that." All right. Well, enough about Mr. Lin and our PCOB enforcement action. Let's say we turn to the SEC enforcement action that you picked. See what's going on there. Yeah, so sure. The one I picked uh, relates to the SEC charging Eagle Bank Corp and its former CEO, Ronald Paul, with negligently making false and misleading statements about related party loans extended by the bank to Paul's family trust. All right, Mike, before we get into the details of what happened, I got to know, because we had record fines and all that stuff and disgorgement and all that. So what was the uh, final punishment related to this action? Yeah, so you, you, the listeners can find this. It was an SEC press release dated August 16th, 2022. Eagle agreed to cease and desist from further violations 
and to pay disgorgement of $2.6 million, prejudgment interest of $750,000, and a civil penalty of $10 million. So you mentioned this term disgorgement a few times throughout. What exactly does that mean? Yeah. So I'm gonna. I'm since I'm not a lawyer, I went to Cornell Law. I, I thought that that's was a good place. It's one of the Ivies, so that's yeah. good. According to Cornell Law, disgorgement is a remedy requiring a party who profits from illegal or wrongful acts to give up any profits they made as a result of that illegal or wrongful conduct. The purpose of this remedy is to prevent unjust enrichment and make illegal conduct unprofitable. Okay, I got it. So a lot of these enforcement actions involve giving up these, you know, illicit gains. Yeah, Yeah, these illicit gains plus penalties on top of that. Plus, yeah, plus plus interest too. I mean, so yeah, penalties and interest. Sure. Okay. So what happened to Mr. Paul here, the former CEO? Yeah. So the CEO he agreed to a permanent injunction uh, to a two-year officer and director bar. So essentially, he cannot serve as an officer or a director of a publicly traded company, and to pay disgorgement of one hundred nine thousand dollars, prejudgment interest of twenty-two thousand dollars, and a penalty of three hundred thousand dollars. All right. Well, let's get into the details, but briefly because we are running out of time. What happened in this situation to to cause these penalties and disgorgement and all of that? Yeah. Interestingly enough, I I normally wouldn't have picked this, but I sort of read about it and it kind of was interesting because it's kind of a easy one, but it's one that I think is missed a lot. But anyway, essentially from the period March 15th through April 2018, so March 2015 to April 2018, Eagle Bank Eagle Bank Corp's principal subsidiary loaned money to Family Trust affiliated with the CEO, Mr. Paul, and did not properly disclose such transactions as required by both SEC regulations and U.S. GAAP. Okay. I have two questions for you. How much money are we talking about with these related party loans, and how did anyone find out about them? Those are fantastic questions. Let me deal with the second one first. The way they found this is in December 2017, a short seller released a report that alleged, among other things, that Eagle had significant undisclosed related party loans. Eagle vehemently denied the report, claiming these loans were not related party loans, which is why they didn't disclose them. And the the thing goes into why they were really related parties, because Paul controlled the trust and, you know, but at the end of the day, they were related parties. So that's the SEC, that was was a slam dunk for them. But but probably what happened is the short seller report tipped off the SEC to maybe take a little look at what's going on here. Exactly. And especially when Eagle vehemently denied him, the SEC actually came in and did an initial investigation. They still denied him, you know, and then they made, they, here's where they went wrong. They kept making public statements like, no, 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 that's wrong. This, this is the short sellers are evil. And they, the more they denied, the worse it got because it just escalated the issue in the public's mind. So as for the loan amounts, we're talking about about $90 million um, in 2017 and $73 million in 2016. So those were the amounts of the loans. Okay. So not exactly chump change, but probably, quote unquote, immaterial to the overall loan balances of a bank. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I didn't know how big Eagle Bank Corp was. So I went into their 10K in 2017. And total loans at the end of December 31st, 2017, were $6.4 billion. So these intercompany loans that we're talking about that weren't disclosed, you know, only represented about 1.4% of total loans. However, as you know, the definition of materiality is not just related to quantitative amounts, but also qualitative factors. And at December 31st, 2017, 
The previously reported related party loan balance was $61 million, but Eagle should have included, but did not include, this $90 million related party trust loan, so that balance would have more than doubled. And the definition of materiality also focuses on whether an investor or potential investor would change their opinion based on the inclusion or omission of the balance. Yeah, definitely. And after the short seller report came out claiming that they had these omitted related party loan balances, Eagle Bank Corp stock dropped by more than 24%. So I think the answer to your, you know, your thing was yes, it would have impacted an investor's decision. So essentially, kind of going on, the SEC states that acting in his corporate capacity as CEO, chairman, and president of Eagle, Mr. Paul negligently failed to ensure that Eagle properly disclosed these related party loans in its filings and statements. Moreover, the company failed to maintain the appropriate internal processes to prevent such a disclosure failure. In his senior position at Eagle, Mr. Paul also was liable for these internal control failures. And just to add on, the auditors are probably liable as well. I mean, as a reminder, related party transactions are always a significant audit risk for which evaluating the design and implementation of internal controls is required by both U.S. gas and PCOB auditing standards. Check out the big brain on Brad. After that drop the mic moment, Chris, why don't you take us out? All right. Well, that's all for this episode of Gap Chats, your source for all things accounting. Notes and resources from today's episode are linked in the description. And as always, you can find us online at gapdynamics.com and at gapdynamics across social media. It's never too late to become a Gapologist. Head over to our website and subscribe to our blog so that you are the first to know what's new with Gap Dynamics. 